Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with me another Friday evening where we have the opportunity to reflect upon the readings that we will hear on Sunday, specifically the gospel. And uh, yeah, so it is great to have you with me. And I have noted in the past, you know, we have an international audience. And if you are from these countries, Australia, Indonesia, Malaysia, South Korea, India, Pakistan, Turkey, South Africa, Nigeria, Egypt, Latvia, Denmark, Germany, Italy, Macedonia, Cyprus, Brazil, Argentina, Bolivia, Chile, Peru, Ecuador, Mexico, Canada, Spain, Portugal, France, England, we welcome you. It means a lot to me that you are taking 30 minutes out of your day, um, those days that you do to listen to us and to journey in the Christian Catholic faith with us. That, that does mean a lot, so we welcome you and and it is Friday, so that means uh, I have Debbie Rosales with me. So, Debbie, it is great to have you with me another Friday evening. It is great to be here. So, Debbie, here we are, this 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Looking back over the last four or five weeks, we've had the opportunity to reflect upon these dialogues, these exchanges between you know, Christ and the Pharisees. And one thing I want to draw out before we get into our gospel for today is what's common in the last four to five weeks is that He's in Jerusalem, okay? He is coming up close to his hour. You know, in the Gospel of John, the evangelist wants to highlight Christ's usage of the hour, and the hour is Jerusalem, uh, that, that hour of death. And so he knows this. Our Lord knows this. He's in Jerusalem. It, it's getting closer. Now, why is this important? Well, let's think about this practically speaking. If you knew you were going to die, uh, your message might change a little bit, it might uh, intensify. And so what's happening in these exchanges between Christ and the Pharisees is uh, we can call it an intensification of, of his message, of the good news, and uh, good news for those who are willing to accept it. Huh? And so what we've had in these exchanges is an absence of acceptance. And so our Lord gently was inviting, and the Pharisees just, you know, we're not going to listen. And uh, here we have Another case this evening, Debbie, to reflect upon, again, provocative words, provocative stuff, yet at the same time, beautiful, beautiful, because in in today's gospel, we do have the two great commandments. So with that, Debbie, uh, maybe we can get going with, with the gospel narrative. And our gospel tonight is from Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus has silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Amen. So here we have the 
Pharisees and the Sadducees coming together, Debbie. And what's most fascinating here, we noted it last week, but maybe we didn't spend enough time with it. In fact, from last week to this week, I was was asked a question as it relates to this point. Uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, they don't like each other. And as we were noting b- before coming on air here, there's a tendency to think, well, you know, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, they all belong to Sanhedrin. They're all buddy-buddy. No, they do not like each other. And here you have them conspiring. You know, in the previous verses, not the verses that you just read, Debbie, Christ spoke and the people were astonished, right? They were astonished. He speaks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they're silent. They're quiet. They don't know what to do with this message still, right? So the Pharisees and Sadducees, they come together. These two groups that hate each other, now they're conspiring together. Why? Because, Debbie, they hate truth more. And so the question that was posed to me, What's an example of that, Joe? Well, okay, in 2014, in the United States of America, Republicans and Democrats, a lot of them, they don't like each other, Debbie. No, they don't. (laughs) Big news there, huh? Yeah. (laughs) No one is going to throw up roadblocks for what I'm talking about right now. And yet, and yet, Debbie, they will conspire together when it comes to matters of truth. And I'm just thinking about abortion. Now, Again, no, no secret here. Research has shown that in the Democratic Party, over 90% believe in pro-choice. Okay? In the Republican Party, it's less than the majority. Now, that being said, what you have seen most recently are members of these two groups conspiring together yes. to advance the message of pro-choice, an mm-hmm. anti-life message. And, and so this would be a concrete example. Uh, two groups that don't like each other suddenly budding up next to each other. Why? Because they hate truth more. And maybe they're not thinking about it explicitly, certainly with the Pharisees and Sadducees. I mean, they were thinking about it extensively. But what you do have in the case today is this preoccupation with advancing politically, and what is forsaken is truth. Absolutely. And we were talking about motives last mm-hmm, week. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the motive there? Yeah, you know, the motus operandi, why yes. do you do what you do? It's so important. You know, when we talk about this, Debbie, we must remember this was the battle cry of the early church. This is, this is what defined you. And we should understand this by now. Yeah. If we've been listening over the last three, four, five weeks, you know, again, it, it goes really back to the parable of the two sons. Okay, appearance versus reality. Why do you do what you do? And certainly, in many ways, it's exemplified uh, in, in today's gospel. So, very important. And, and our Lord, he hears the words again, teacher. We talked about this last week. Yep. To say teacher, and then to conspire against the teacher, mm-hmm. he's seen this before. In mm-hmm. fact, when you go into the Greek, once again, we have the language of testing, mm-hmm. Debbie. The first time we read that phrase, put to the test, it was in Matthew 4.1. And who was putting Christ to the test? Satan. The evil one. Yes. He was putting him to the test. And you translate that Greek, it's actually putting him under trial, right? So he's, he's under trial. So here we have uh, a scholar of the law now mm-hmm. who raises his voice, and uh, Christ is under trial. Now, he's a lawyer. He's a Pharisee a member of the Sanhedrin, and what do we know? Okay, so they are 
uh, voices of the law. But it's so fascinating to me, Debbie. Here you have <laughs> these these members of the Sanhedrin who see themselves as the sole arbiters of of divine law, mm-hmm. interrogating who the incarnation of law, the incarnation of truth, the Messiah. Yeah, I mean, the best they can do is interpret. And who is Christ? The incarnation, the essence of the law. It's most fascinating when you think about it within that context. So he's put to the test. And if in Matthew 4, 1, he was recognizing Satan for for who he was, and, you know, last week we, we talk about the test, and again this week, you know, we use the phrase, Debbie, something smells funny. <laughs> the repugnant odor of evil, uh, he smells it. It's no wonder why last week they, the Pharisees speak, and what does he say? He, he sees their malice. You hypocrites! He sees the same thing going on here. And before we get into those two great commandments, Debbie, I think there's a fascinating point to be had uh, with the language of scholar of the law or some... Uh, translations render it lawyer. You know, John speaks of the Holy Spirit as uh, what? The counselor, the mm-hmm. advocate. Yes. Um, Paul talks about this as well. Uh, why is this relevant? Because the Holy Spirit is, for all intents and purposes, our lawyer. When we are under trial, when, when Satan is tempting us, who do we turn to? The Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? He is our advocate, uh, he is defending us. And so this is why the role of the Holy Spirit is so important. When Christ says at the end of the, the Gospel of Matthew, Lo, I will be with you always, well, how, how can he say that? He died. No, it is because of the gift of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost that he can say, I will be with you always. You know, the Holy Spirit is the protagonist of the church. The principal role is for the Holy Spirit to bear witness uh, to the truth in and through the church in and through, Debbie, you and I, and all of our listeners. And what we are made to see is that we will be put under trial. We, we will be put to the test. And if we have a living relationship with Jesus Christ, yes, but also, how often do we say this, Debbie, a living relationship with the Holy Spirit, we will be able to identify the smell of the adversary, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, we will walk into a situation and be able to say, something smells funny, important to be thinking about. Absolutely. Um, it is the key of discernment, is it not? Mm, mm. Um, without the Holy Spirit, how do we do a holy discernment mm-hmm. without letting our own self-love get in the way and our own motives and our own filters? We, I must go so that I can send the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I, I just love that phrase. Mm. It's so important. And, you know, in Thursday's gospel, I, I just love this. Jesus said <clears throat> in Luke 12, I have come to set the earth on fire Mm. Mm. and how I wish it were already blazing. Mm. That sentence just goes to my heart. He's got to send the Holy Spirit to send the fire. Mm. He's got to, the fire's got to come. Yeah. There's a beautiful reflection as you're talking there, Debbie. I can't help but think of um, uh, the words of one French theologian by the name of Henri de Lubac. He's reflecting upon the Trinity and he gets quite philosophical, but there's one line he says, we know we are at peace when we live in the warmth and presence and fire of the Holy Trinity. 
Mm, that's you know, and, and there was something that it just that simple sentence always just stayed with me mm-hmm. because we must remember the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given to us in baptism, that sanctifying grace where we receive the virtues of faith, hope, and love. It is actually a sharing in the life of God, right. an actual participation in his very life. When you actually stop to think about that, that's oh, powerful stuff. And then, humbling. Yeah. What happens, Debbie? You know, <laughs> when we talk about the enthusiasm you know, in the Greek, entheos, to, to bear God within, it is really our enthusiasm for God is when the Holy Spirit sets our life on fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what it's about. Sure. Yeah, that's one of my favorite passages from uh, Luke 12. I just 12. love it. It's, yeah. it's just so beautiful. In light of this, how do we sustain that? Mm-hmm. How are we called to enter more deeply into that? Well, our Lord gives us the two great commandments. Yes. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then love you know your neighbor as yourself. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they've posed this question. Now, it's interesting. Again, remember, they are interpreters of the law. They see themselves as possessors, the sole possessors of divine law. But what they've done with law in the absence of love is restricted. Mm. And what God does in response, what Jesus does in response is he shows its life-giving power. And as only Jesus can do, as only the divine wisdom incarnate can do, he distills what? The 613 laws of the Old Testament in the two simple commandments. These Pharisees, these Sadducees, they've never seen such wisdom before. Mm -mm. And really, what is he doing? What is he saying? If you look at the Ten Commandments, you have the first three commandments that are about what? Love of God. And then what are the next seven commandments? Love of neighbor. Right? And yes, you go into Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and yeah, there's all of these laws and bylaws and codes and all of these things. But those two laws are the essence, the essence of, of what the new covenant and the new dispensation of grace is all about. And this is what, Debbie, we need to enter into. And once again, it, it brings us back to what I believe to be one of the great structures of Christianity, and that's the, the in God for other moment. Uh, the, the new identity, new goal, the come to know God so as to make him known. Uh, we cannot be in mission if we have not first experienced conversion. All of these things, this is what he wants us to see. And this is foreign to the mm. Pharisees. This is absolutely foreign. This is their silence. It, it's not a silence where, you know, Debbie, our Lord has, has so, you know, taken us away. That's like, wow. No, that's not what this kind of silence is. In fact, in the Greek, it kind of bespeaks to this more conniving silence you know you see so something's going on here yeah they don't want to understand they know who he Uh is up here and by that i'm you know in mind but Mm -hmm. it hasn't hasn't made that pilgrimage to the heart Uh, they just longest journey yes it really is and they (laughs) and they don't they don't want anything to do with that so he offers for them these two great commandments and in doing so he really sets up what the new covenant is about if you were to go to John 21, and I wasn't thinking about this before, but it kind of strikes me now. You go to John 21, you see an exchange. You read an exchange between our Lord and Peter. I guess John 21, verses 15, 16, and 17. And uh, these verses are about that triple affirmation. Oh, Lord, do you love me? Love it. Yeah, oh. okay. Mm-hmm. So I think most of our listening audience is familiar with that exchange. And we say, okay, he denied him three times. Right. He... He kind of takes those three denials and he redeems himself. Mm-hmm. But something else is going on. And when you translate the Greek, you kind of say to yourself, what in the world is going on? Because 
in the first do you love me, uh, Peter's response is agape, which is that highest form of love, Mm -hmm. sacrificial love. And so you say to yourself, that's great. The second one, do you love me? He says what? Agape, sacrificial love. He says, do you love me? And his third response is most intriguing because it's filio. It's the fraternal love. Now, why would he go backwards? Mm-hmm. Why, why would Peter's response to our Lord be sacrificial, sacrificial? Okay, Lord, I love you as my friend. Why not? Why not friend, friend, sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Huh? Right. I think the key is in what we already talked about, Debbie. And I haven't really gotten to the church fathers on this, but when I first read this, this is what struck me. Before we can sacrifice for our Lord, before we can enter into that agape, we must first call him our friend. Yeah, that's just what I was thinking. Right? Yes. So when Peter says... We have to know him. We have to know him. Yes, we must come to know him so as to make him known. So in that third exchange, Mm -hmm. when he says, filio, ah, it's as if Jesus says, now you get it. You are my friend, and now you will want to sacrifice for me. Mm. You see, when, when I talk about this structure of Christianity being in God for other, these two great commandments are commandments for what an authentic discipleship looks like, so, right? Yeah. Because before you can be in mission, you must have first converted to his most sacred heart. And this, again, brings us back to the encounter. I mean, this is... We must first encounter, and out from that encounter, you have what you have. Absolutely. I love St. Francis de Sales describes love as a burning fire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A purifying fire, destroying, consuming all that clings to our self-love. And I remember reading that um, and thinking, oh, that is, and I think that's exactly what our Lord is talking about. That this love, once you, once you love the Lord as a friend, as a brother, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, it just pours out of you to others, right? Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. like we're, it may still be a struggle maybe sure. some days, sure. but, sure. but you're right. It's like, it just pours out of you. And I just, I love this, this idea of this purifying fire and it reminds me of Easter Vigil when we come into the church and, and we light the candles, the light of Christ. Lumen Christi. Yeah, yeah. And the light just envelops the church. I, it makes me teary every year. Mm-hmm. And that's spiritually what we need to be doing. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when God says, when Jesus says, love God with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, it's all... Today, we have the tendency to compartmentalize. You know, okay, this is my faith life. This is my work life. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep things compartmentalized. It's, it's the safe thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's the easy thing to do. There's a challenge here. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything. If you want to be my disciple, everything must belong to me. Mm-hmm. Right? It's so easy. I have gotten this question a lot recently, actually, and I find it most fascinating. Well, Joe, I don't need to really get into Scripture because I get the message. I mean, it's be good. And so why read Scripture? Good is not enough. No. Good is not enough because he calls us to be disciples. You and I, Debbie, I think have talked about not every good is a willed good. Mm -hmm. So we need to enter into the aforementioned discernment 
We need to enter into that aforementioned relationship with the Holy Spirit so as to be able to detect that even a good might be the smell of the adversary. Absolutely. So it needs to be all, anything and everything, all the time, mm-hmm. anywhere and everywhere, all the time. Right. God does not want us to hold one thing back. Mm-hmm. That is why... You know, a conversation, one of these conversations I had this past week with a young man who brought this to my attention. Well, it's good enough for me to be good, right? Okay, what are you attached to? Well, what do you mean? What do you spend a lot of time with? Well, I spend my days doing A, B, and C. Well, does A belong to God? Maybe not. A needs to die. I mean, you need to die to A, whatever that attachment is. Again, I think we've talked about this before, Debbie. If If it's a game... If it's a team, if it's a program, um, if it's Xbox, whatever it might be, if we're spending an inordinate amount of time, we need to die to that. And dying to self, again, this gets us back to what authentic discipleship looks like. Come follow me. Deny yourself. And, And to this gospel, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I mean, this is like trying to decrypt a cryptogram. You know, like, what are you saying, Lord? This doesn't make any sense. Um, How dare you attempt to to take these 613 laws and downsize them into, (laughs) you know, a couple of verses? Very simply. Yeah, yeah. Like (laughs) Like it irritates them. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes, because these these members of the Sanhedrin, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees, these guys are versed in the law. I mean, they have spent their lives studying the law mm-hmm. and yet here the law is right before them and what he wants them to see is in the end law is about relationship huh? laws about relationship the torah itself what does it mean the yadah it's an archery term right it's it's to live in the law is to strike bullseye which again in in antiquity it is uh, to live in the heart of god bullseye is is the heart of god and so the law, to some degree, was always caught up in this idea of relationship. Now, this is cemented in the incarnation in Christ because, of course, this is what he's telling us this evening. The law is about relationship. The law is about love. In fact, again, when you go into the New Testament, specifically some of Paul's epistles, what do we read? When you sin, you miss the mark. When you break the law, you miss the mark. Well, what is sin? Sin is simply disobedience. Sin is simply breaking the Father's heart. Sin is is essentially saying no to God the Father. It is literally missing the mark. Uh, So law is always about relationship. This did not sit well with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Why? Because they were so focused on the externals. So what's this stuff of, for all intents and purposes here, Debbie, the interior life that you're talking about here. I mean, they don't use that language, but right. this is what they're thinking. This is what they're saying. Come on, what, what's up with this love stuff? Mm-hmm. What about works? And that's the other thing, Debbie. What about works? They, they espouse towards works. We have, we have kept the law. Are you saying that we have not kept the law? He's saying, okay, yeah, maybe you have, but it's all too ritualistic. You're not focused on works within the context of what a work really is. We mentioned it last week, Debbie. What does faith mean? It is the firm response. Response to who? And what are you doing? Well, response to a God who is love, and your response is 
response in love. Love is a work. And when you understand love as a work, it illuminates the letter of the law. It illuminates what you see. And this, this is what he wanted them to see, the Pharisees and Sadducees, mm -hmm. and certainly, Debbie, what he wants us to see. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because <clears throat> I have a note here that says, love is an action word. Mm -hmm. Talk is cheap. Mm -hmm. You know, we say we love pizza. We say we love the Giants. I do love the Giants. I do love pizza. Yeah. But that's not the same word I use for my God mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or for my children, mm -hmm. you know. But love is an action word. He expects that outpouring of the Holy Spirit to not just be kept inside of us, mm -hmm. but that we naturally and lovingly and truthfully share that. Amen. Love is not an idea. It is an experience, an encounter, Amen. an encounter. And when we define love as an encounter, we will then better understand this whole idea that love is a work because what we do is we serve those who are most in need. And what we find is not something, but again, someone, Jesus Christ and the poorest of the poor. And he says, go there, there you will encounter me. And amen to that. And so... By way of close, Debbie, what we are made to do is reflect upon this need to see the importance of the interior life as it illuminates everything around us. That indeed, uh, man's first glimpse of paradise was illuminated by the Holy Spirit, and that's what we must always remember. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.